All right. Well, church, last time um, I preached, I was in 1 John, and we covered the first four verses. So today we're going to cover the next few verses, and uh, I'm going to move through 5 through 10 in 1 John chapter 1, if you want to turn there. But before we get there, I do want to briefly provide a little recap of what we talked about last time, so we know where we were and where we're heading. You see, when we began in John's first letter, we found that he was writing to the churches in the Ephesus region around about A.D. 70 to 90, sometime there in the first century. He was addressing many heresies, that is, lies about Jesus and about God especially. And these were all circulated around in the churches. People were making up all kinds of things about Jesus. Some said he wasn't really the Christ, but he only seemed to be that, or appeared that way. Some said that the Christ spirit fell down on him at his baptism, but it left him before his crucifixion. Some even taught that you didn't even really need Jesus to be saved, but all you really needed was some kind of special knowledge, which if you were lucky enough to obtain or you knew the right people, and that special knowledge apparently led you into a sinless state. Some people even taught that Jesus was just the biological son of Joseph and Mary. But John said, no, that's not the truth. But rather, this Jesus that these people are saying all these kinds of crazy things about, this Jesus we knew. We beheld his glory, and we saw him heal the blind. He healed the lame. He, he cast out the demons out of the demon-possessed. We, we even saw him bring people back to life. We even touched his flesh before he died, and then again after his resurrection. This Jesus is the eternal life, and in order for you and I to have fellowship with each other, and other believers, you must unequivocally, that is without any doubt, you must believe and confess these things. That's what John said. Or you cannot be in fellowship with other Christians, neither can you be in fellowship with God or His Son, Jesus Christ. John then said, you can't even experience true Christian joy without believing these things. Holding them close to your heart and cherishing them. Because the loftiest, that is the highest thing that we can do in this life, the height of our Christian joy after our own salvation, is to see another sinner doomed to hell come to the saving knowledge, acceptance of, and belief in the person and work of Jesus Christ and the blood he shed at Calvary. That's our loftiest goal and our height of Christian joy, John said. He said, that's the truth we proclaim to you. And in order to have fellowship with us, that is, believers, and God, the Son, and Jesus, there are certain things you cannot do or be. So he takes out the threat of heresy. He sets the truth straight about this Jesus. And now he poses some very important conditional questions. And they require us to pause and think carefully, or at least I hope they will. That is, if we concern ourselves with fellowship together and with God, or if we claim to belong to Him and His kingdom, John wants us to examine our conduct, our lifestyle, and our thinking. So we're going to pick up in verse 5, and if you have your Bible, I hope you do, turn to 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. We're going to go through 10, and if you're able, please stand as we honor the reading of the word of the Lord. John begins in verse 5, after all that truth he just laid down. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. 
If we say that we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that you'd forgive us where we fail you. God, I ask that you would take these uh, feeble words of mine that you have given and Lord, that you would expound your word to these folks and Father, that your spirit would convict our soul and our heart of our sin, but Lord, that you would come behind and comfort us, Lord, with the truths of your scripture and the promise of who this Jesus is. Father, I pray today that he would be exalted and lifted up, Father, and that your spirit would sanctify your people and that we would hallow your name in all that we do think and say, Father. Please give us clarity of thought now as we seek to worship you further. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you. The first thing I want us to look at here is the holiness of God. If you look again with me at verse 5, it says, This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Now here's what we need to remind ourselves of right away. John is not making this up. He's not, he's not telling a tall tale. He didn't have some kind of new age spiritual vision where he heard from God or, or some made up deity. He didn't hear this through the proverbial grapevine. John says very clearly that this is the message we have heard from him. Everything we are telling you is straight from the mouth of God, the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ. It's not hogwash like all these other lies and heresies these other people are telling you. We heard this straight from God, and that is what we are proclaiming to you, John said. This message we got from the mouth of Christ. Pretty serious message if it comes directly from his mouth. He says, we preach to you, and the message is this, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness whatsoever. If you look at it in the Greek, it's a double negative to, to, to really show you how firm there is no darkness. We don't speak like that. There's not, not any darkness in God. No darkness whatsoever, none, not even a shred of darkness in God. Paul says in 1 Timothy that God dwells in unapproachable light, Moses, when he spent time on the mountain for those 40 days and 40 nights, he came down, his face shone so brightly, he had to veil himself in the midst of the congregation because he was shining so bright. And he was merely reflecting the holiness and light of God. The light of God represents his holiness, his splendor, his glory, his truthfulness, and his purity. In light, what does it do to darkness? It casts it out. Amen. But men hate the light because it exposes their evil deeds. But God is pure, blinding, unapproachable light. He, that is Christ, is the light of the world. Isn't that what Jesus said? I'm the light of the world. He who walks after me will not walk in darkness. And in him was the life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness cannot comprehend it. I love that. It, it, light can't even make sense to darkness because it just immediately gets, destroys it. When God called Moses from the burning bush, he said, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the ground which you stand upon is holy. Just the mere presence 
of God is holiness. Amen. And we get a pretty good picture of this from the prophet Isaiah. It's one of my favorite passages. When God calls him to prophesy to the people, he, he says he stands before the throne room of God. He says, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. Even the created beings in heaven know they're not worthy. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Holiness of God, the pure, unapproachable light of God. The only adjective describing God in the entirety of the Bible that's repeated three times is holy, holy, holy. We don't say God is love, love, love. He's peace, peace, peace. He's righteousness, righteousness, righteousness. He's holy, holy, holy. You say, we get it, Pastor. God's holy. God's light. What's the big deal? Well, John is making a very stark contrast to this heretical opponent that he's facing in the church about God and the truth thereof. Darkness has no place in God. Therefore, if anything that is darkness, it's by its very nature unable to have fellowship with God. John's getting ready to show us that however we conduct our lives, however we think, whatever we do and say, all of that has to be measured against the holiness of God. And if it comes up short or there's any shred of darkness in there, it cannot abide with the Lord. Darkness and light are opposing forces. They cannot abide together. And John wants these churches and us to know that if anyone, you and I included, if anyone claims or teaches anything other than the message he proclaims, which came directly from the mouth of Christ, they are walking in darkness. Anything other than what the scripture says very clearly, if we teach that, if we preach that, if anybody else does, you're walking in darkness. And this is important. This is how you tell a false teacher or preacher from one that preaches the truth. And these churches were dealing with some big time false teachers just as we are in our day. And so John gives them and gives us sort of like a litmus test he says, everything that comes after must be weighed against God's perfect, holy, pure, and unapproachable light. It has to be weighed against that. Whatever we say, whatever we do, where we spend our time, how we spend our time, who we spend our time with, it all has to be measured against the unapproachable light of God. And when we do that, we find that it doesn't measure up. And so why does that matter? And now we're going to get into why it matters. The second thing that he tells us is, is he points to the lie and the blood. Look again at verse seven or 6 and 7. Excuse me. It says, If we say that we have fellowship with him, that is God, yet we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You see that qualifier? If we walk in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. These false teachers were convincing many that all they really needed was special knowledge. And this special knowledge made you sinless. As a result, clearly that made them think they were better than everyone else. Because they had something nobody else had. 
This is one of the most obvious signs. And, and hear me in humility. This is one of the most obvious signs that someone is not walking in the light of God. Whenever you think yourself better than another, you are walking in darkness. That's just the truth of Scripture. Because before God, every single one of us are right here, even. Every single one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us are doomed to an eternal punishment except for the blood of Jesus. And when we think we're better than other people, we walk in darkness because we're, we're exalting ourselves above. What did Paul say? Consider yourself in humility. Count yourself not and more important than others. Jesus told the parable, the tax collector and the Pharisee, both went into the temple to pray, didn't they? The Pharisee stood and lifted his eyes to heaven. Oh, thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. Swindlers, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. Goodness, Lord, I fast twice a week. I give my tithe. Oh, thank you, Lord. What did Jesus say? The tax collector beat on his breast and said, Forgive me, God. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. And that man walked out more righteous than the Pharisee. And as soon as these heretics started to believe that they had achieved some sort of special status and that they were sinless, they thought themselves better than everyone else and they became naturally loveless, cold, bitter. They even went so far as to deny that Jesus had even come in the flesh. They were walking in darkness. But here's the deal. They didn't see it that way. Eventually, and this is true, we all have personal experience with this, eventually, the more one walks and lives and practices or has their life defined by darkness, the more inclined we are to call it righteousness and truth and light because we justify. Paul says we suppress the truth in unrighteousness and eventually unrighteousness becomes our truth. And hey, that's my truth, so don't get on my heels about it. It's not relative. There is an existential that is outside of you, absolute truth, and it comes from the king of heaven and him alone. And these people said, nah, we know better than that. We have special knowledge. We're sinless, loveless, cold, and bitter. And our light is actually darkness, but we think it's light. They lie and they do not practice the truth. I said it already, and I'm going to say it again. Light cannot abide in darkness. If you turn the lights off, it'll be dark. Granted, the windows are still going to let some in, but I think you follow the analogy. As such, you and I cannot have fellowship with God if we walk in darkness. That's just the bottom line. This may look slightly different in your life. It looks different in my life. You cannot live in the light on Sunday if Monday through Saturday you live like the world. You cannot live in the light if cussing or crude jokes are part of your daily speech. Well, hold on, Pastor. Where's that in the Scripture? Good question. Ephesians 4.29 Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Ephesians 5.3 and 4 But immorality... Now listen to how strong Paul feels about this. But immorality or any, any impurity or greed must not even be named among you if you claim to walk in the light, as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness or silly talk 
or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. You cannot dabble in the world a little bit with just one foot and not expect to fall in eventually. You can't walk in darkness Monday through Saturday and live in the light on Sunday. You can't practice the things that are dark and expect to have light. You cannot close your eyes and walk around this. Now, some of you, you've been here many years, so maybe you could. You know where everything is. You could close your eyes and walk around. But if I tried to do that, I would stumble, I would fall, and I would hurt something. We can't walk in darkness and, and have light. And if your life is characterized by convenient Christianity, that is, you look the part on Sunday and you can say spiritual things, but you practice hate, lying, cheating, stealing, slander, crude or coarse language, you're not living in the light. Now listen, don't hear, or do hear me on this. I'm not talking about sinless perfection like these heresies were. I'm talking about if you practice these things on a daily basis, you are making that your light, which is truly darkness. If you're practicing righteousness and you stumble, because we all will, because we're all sinners, that's not what I'm talking about here. But if it's a daily practice, or even a weekly practice, you don't look any different than the, than the church or than Christ Monday through Saturday, who's going to want to come to church and follow Jesus? The whole point of him calling us out as the ecclesia, as the church, was so that we could draw people in because of how we're supposed to be different. you're not living in the light, John says, you don't have fellowship with God and you make yourself a liar. Worse still, as you slander the name of Jesus, you tarnish the pure light of God by sullying it with darkness. You do not practice the truth. John is hammering this hard. Fellowship with God requires your life and my life to be characterized by living and walking in the light and practicing holiness. Again, none of us is perfect. There was only one that was Jesus. But if we're practicing walking in the light and practicing holiness by the empowerment of the Spirit, that's what character should characterize the Christian life. John says you can't even have fellowship with other believers if you don't. Not only that, you can't even be washed by the blood of Jesus. I didn't make that up. It's right there. The difference, John says, is what you're known for. Anyone can play church, speak the part, look the part, but it's what you practice on a daily basis that makes the difference. And a life characterized by light is one who walks in the light, living as Christ lived in the light to the best of your ability only by the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. Then and only then can you have fellowship with God, with each other, and be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Imagine with me if you were hired for a new job. It's a very important one. In fact, it's so important that if your duties are not executed properly, others could be misled or perish. You've been hired as a lighthouse operator on the coast of a stormy and rock-filled sea. The master of the place explains to you that you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, and so make sure the light shines brightly so that those being tossed to and fro at the sea can see it and hope in salvation. The first one to two years go well. You love your job. You're excited that you're helping others and ensuring that they see the light or they can come into safety. 
You actually enjoy being in the light even. But then something happens. You see at a short distance another house, not a lighthouse, that always has a light burning, albeit very dim, but it looks like they're merely using the light to ensure they don't, or they can find their way around because it's pretty dark out. Eventually you get so curious, you rationalize that the lighthouse pretty much works on its own. So you'll, you'll go check out this house and leave your post for just a short time. When you get there, you realize that these people appear to be having a pretty good time. There's music, laughter, television, parties. They say and do things that probe your curiosity and overall seem to be doing okay. Even though you were warned never to leave your post, never to leave the light, you decide to hang out for a while, and after going back and forth to the house and your post, you're convinced now that there's nothing wrong with leaving the light. After all, you made some good friends. They don't seem to want you to leave either. And you enjoy the things they do at that house, things you have never done, only heard about, or have ever been warned about, because it makes you feel good. After a while, the time you spend there becomes longer and longer until one day you don't even go back to the light. These people know how to have fun, and who cares about being in the light anyway? One morning, as you snooze away in the house, you're torn from your sleep by loud, wailing sirens, helicopters, and screams. Everyone else is either passed out or doesn't care what happens outside of their house, but you get up and go outside and see a horrifying scene unfolding before you. It's so dark that you can only catch glimpses of people lying on the rocks and crying out in agony in multiple ships wrecked along the coast. But you begin to rationalize to yourself that this had nothing to do with you. You justify your time at the house because it was fun. It seemed right in your eyes. But why is it so dark, you wonder? When you look up, you realize the light went out. Behind you, the master sternly rebukes you for leaving the light and for your egregious crime and says you're going to face a life sentence in his prison. You see, eventually, if you're not careful, you can fall into the habit of leaving the light. It's, ever so long, it's, it's like waves. They just lap against your boat, and if you don't control it, eventually you're out in the middle of the ocean with no way back. Thinking that walking in darkness for a short time is okay is not okay. It's something you can handle. That's what most of us think, but it's not. Somebody asked me one time, I forget where I got this analogy from, but I love it. And, you know, how much sin is okay? He said, well, how far would you stick your arm into the mouth of a lion? I probably wouldn't stick it in at all. I mean, but that's just me. <laughs> so how much sin is okay? God says no sin. Now again, we're not talking about perfection, but we're talking about that practice, daily practice of sinning and being in the darkness. If you want to know whether your life is characterized by light or darkness, ask yourself. I, I have to ask myself the same. Do I exercise, or excuse me, do I excuse my sin against others by claiming, that's just who I am? It's the way God made me. No, it's the way sin made you. Jesus is supposed to make you different. Do I justify my sin by blame shifting? Oh, this is our human nature, ain't it? Well, if so-and-so would have just done such-and-such, such, I wouldn't have done that thing or this thing. Oh, so it's their fault you chose to do the thing. Hmm, interesting. 
Do I justify my sin? Because let's face it, clearly I'm better than them anyway. You and I may not claim special knowledge like these false teachers, but John says if you walk in darkness, that is, you live your life contrary to the message he received directly from Jesus, you are not characterized by living in the light, and you do not have fellowship with God, with other believers, and are not cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Examine yourself. I have to do it daily because when you get into the practice of not examining yourself, you convince yourself everything's okay. And that's when Satan comes along and says, trip. We have to examine ourselves, ask ourselves, where am I living in the darkness right now? Perhaps it's how you spend your time. Or where you spend your time. Maybe it's who you spend your time with. Maybe it's what you watch. I don't care who you are. We're all human, myself included. We're all affected by everything. There is no neutrality. Whatever you put into here and put into here is going to affect this. Maybe... It's what you listen to, or where you find your heart's desires are. Or, maybe it's the way you treat people. Maybe you're just mean and hateful. Maybe you gossip and slander and think yourself better than others. You know, one of my favorite pastors, Paul Washer, he had an analogy. He, he was saying, you know, if I, I showed up late to a preaching engagement that was really important and everybody was expecting you to be on time, you showed up late. And they said, well, did you take this lightly? Why didn't you show up? He said, oh, well, I was driving down the highway. I got a flat on my car, and I decided to stop and change the flat. And before I even thought about it, the lug nut fell and rolled in the middle. So I ran out there and grabbed it, not even thinking. And I stood up in the middle of the highway, and there's a diesel coming at me 120 miles an hour, 10 yards away. Flew me down, but thanks be to God, I made it. He said, you would look at me and say, well, now hold on a minute. There's no way you could come into contact with anything that big of that magnitude and not be changed. And he said, you're absolutely right. There's no way you can come into contact with the magnification and holiness of God and not be changed. How much bigger is God than the universe, than any truck or any disease or any frustration we have or any sin we have? If we're not changed by him, the world doesn't care. Walking in the light truly is to love one another, unlike these false teachers. One commentator put it this way. He says, quote, true fellowship with God comes through men. And I don't know if y'all know this. I feel like I have to say it, which is sad. But years ago, when you used the masculine term, it was actually all-encompassing masculine and feminine. True fellowship with God comes through men. Love of the brethren is the product of the love of God. Fellowship with the brethren is the proof of fellowship with God. Did, did, did you hear that? When we fellowship together biblically and speak things of God to one another, that proves that we have fellowship with God. 
If you justify your lackadaisical approach to Christianity or justify not engaging in fellowship with your brothers or sisters in Christ on a regular basis, John would caution you to examine your life and ask, is it characterized by light or by darkness? Are you walking in the light as he himself is in the light? Or are you living in darkness? The last thing I want us to see here is the sinfulness of sin and the righteousness of Christ. If you will look uh, again with me at verses 8 to 10. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, oh, thank you, Lord. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. There's this infamous false teacher, pastor. There's many, actually. But one particularly stands out to me. And I mean, honestly, church, I don't even really like to call them those people, teacher, preachers, because biblically speaking, the meaning of the word, the role of the pastor, teacher, shepherd, whatever word you want to use, is to preach and teach the truth and to guard the sheep from wolves then these people who lie for a living and fly in billion-dollar jets and live in million-dollar homes preaching lies and teaching lies are essentially the wolves. They're not pastors. They're not shepherds. They're not teachers. Nothing gets me more fired up than a false teacher. This is quite literally a matter of life and death, and God says that's why there'll be an extra special judgment for those that teach and preach, because if you don't teach and preach the truth, the blood of your hearers will be on your head. That's a very serious thing to God. And if someone claims to walk in the light and wears the badge of Christ but teaches lies and leads people astray, they're walking in darkness, and that will lead you into the eternal fire if you follow them. So then, there's this one particular charlatan, that's a better word, I think, who claims when Jesus saved him, he's not since committed any sin. And this was some 10, 15 years ago when he was saved, apparently. John says, what? Are you mad? I mean, is, is he reading the same Bible we're reading? John says, no, sir. But you do have sin. If you say you don't, you're deceiving yourself and many others. And in you, there is no truth. I mean, if I said the worst thing that you could probably deal with or the one thing that frustrates you the most is somebody lying to you consistently, I'd probably get an amen. Because you break down trust, you break down dependability, you break down everything. And John says, if you say you don't have sin, you are a liar. The moment you start to tell yourself you have no sin is the moment you fail as a Christian. This is so important. We all have struggles. We all face trials, temptations, and all kinds of difficulties, especially as Christians who are walking in the light. Satan will try to kill you. But when we get to a self-righteous point in life whereby we say we have no sin, we are leading ourselves astray. That's talent. The Greek word order, it's, it's hard to render in English because it says, oneself we cause to wonder, deceive, and lead astray. It would be like, punching the address into the GPS, and then when it tells you to turn right, you say, nah, I'm going to turn left. And then you go, huh, I'm wise. 
Now, sometimes, I mean, it's ran me into almost the middle of a lake before, but imagine you're sitting there looking for something to do. Maybe right now you're looking for something to do. I don't know. All of a sudden you say to yourself, I want to play a game. So you go to the kitchen, you grab three red plastic cups, and you pull out a $100 bill, and you sit at the table. You tell yourself, I'm going to put this $100 bill under one of these cups, and then I'm going to shift them around as quickly as possible for a few seconds, and then I'll try to find the one with the $100 bill. If I find it on the first try, I get to keep it, but if I don't, I lose it. So you set about convincing yourself there is no way to lose. After all, you're the one shifting the cups and putting the bill under there. The game is obviously rigged in your favor. You place the $100 bill under the cup, then you begin shifting them around, being careful to keep your eye on the correct cup. And after about 7 to 10 seconds, you stop, and most assuredly, you pull that cup up with the $100 bill, only to find it's not there. You see, I know, that's the madness with which we deceive ourselves when we say we have no sin. That's what John's trying to get us to realize, and that anybody that says that is a false teacher. But John says, here's the best part. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All. Not some, not a little bit, not a teensy bit, not just today, not just tomorrow. All unrighteousness. Do you know why it's important to confess your sins to God? Think about this for a moment. If someone wrongs you, and I mean they did something just terrible, you're just hurt. It was a big thing, right? But let's say maybe they feel some unction about it and they decide to come to you and speak like this. Hey, yeah, you know, the thing or whatever. Yeah, so that was not good or something. Sorry about that. What? Is that the best you got? You see, the problem with that is that they never accepted what they did as wrong. The same is true with you and I. When we sin, do you confess it to God? God, I'm sorry for saying those harsh things to so-and-so. God, I'm sorry I did that specific thing. Please forgive me. What happens when you confess sin specifically is that you first and foremost acknowledge that it's sin against God. If you don't confess it, you're essentially saying it's not sin. That's the first and most important step, is accepting responsibility for the thing you did that you know is sin in the eyes of the Lord. If you don't confess it as sin, you claim you have no sin. Worse than pretending it's not just sin is saying we've never sinned. That is the sinfulness of sin. That's, that's the wickedness of human. We're just, no, no, not me. I've never done that. I mean, I lie. Well, yeah, I'm going to cheat. Mm, still, well. Oh, but you've never sinned. Worse than that. Look at the charge that John puts in verse 10. If you and I or anyone else ever say we've never sinned, not only do we deceive ourselves, but we make God a liar, as if he could lie. Could there be anything more atrocious than calling God a liar? Who do we think we are saying such ludicrous things? It's audacity. Now, if you're in the mindset where you don't follow the Lord and you live, you know, a loose and free lifestyle and you're, you're just living consistently in your worldview, that's expected. I, I, I understand where you're coming from. That's a different story, okay? You're being consistent. At least that's that at the end of the day. 
But if, if, if you claim the name of Christ and claim to have salvation, and you claim this ridiculousness, you make God a liar, and the word of God is not in you. You have a false Christianity and do not walk in the light. But when we confess our sins to God, very specifically, we acknowledge our sin. And here's the best part. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't know if you thought about this much. Um, we all know Romans 3.23, the wages of sin is death. Or excuse me, 6.23, the wages of sin is death. That is the wage we get paid for our sin against a holy and just God. If the wages of sin is death, how can God be faithful and just to forgive us? That would be like a judge letting off a criminal did it, committed a heinous crime. We'd say no. But as humans made in the image of God, we want to see justice, especially when we experience injustice. That's because we're created in his image. We know right from wrong. Let me show you what this might look like. Romans 3 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everybody, myself included, has sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's right. Even you, Mr. Self-Righteous, Mrs. Self-Righteous. If you're here today, on the radio or online, and you don't think you have sinned, let John speak truth to your heart today. If you have ever told a lie... I say if, when you have ever told a lie, you stand guilty before God of breaking the whole law. James says one, one part of it, you're guilty of all of it. If you've ever stolen something, cheated, coveted, God says that your payment, your wages, your paycheck because of your sin is death. You and I stand guilty before a pure and holy God who will not I repeat, he says this in Exodus 23, he will not acquit the wicked. He will not let them off. You have broken his law, and now you stand in the court to face the highest and holiest judge. You plead your case. But judge, I'm a pretty good person. I'm not like that tax collector or that sinner over there. Judge, I help folks every week. I serve in the soup kitchen. I say nice things to my spouse. Judge, I work hard. I do works of righteousness all the time. Please, have mercy. And if you're in the darkness and not in Christ, he will slam his gavel down and exclaim, Guilty, life sentence to the dungeon of my eternal prison. You plead, you cry, you weep aloud and beg. You begin confessing your guilt, accepting your fate, listing your sins over and over, praying for mercy. And just as you're being drug away to be cast off into the dungeon, the judge's legal counsel approaches the bench and speaks with the judge. Before you're thrust through the door, crying and wailing out, the judge exclaims, Release that man! His fine has been paid. He's free to go. She's free to go. That's the blood of Jesus. All of us are in that courtroom. Every last one of us. And one day we will have to stand before the highest and holiest judge. If we confess our sins, John said, acknowledging that they are sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
The false teachers of John's day, just like our day, don't like that because nobody wants to feel bad about their sin. Everybody wants to feel happy all the time and great. And listen, the only reason we feel bad, the only reason we, we have a hard time in life and we struggle and we fight depression and sickness and illness and we stub our toes and we get angry and feel tired and worn out and unloved and unappreciated and like we don't belong is because of our sin. It ruined our relationship. But God says you don't have to stay there. Jesus has paid the fine. Confess your sins, and He is faithful and just because your payment has been solidified in the blood of Jesus, and that's for eternity. That's a contract that cannot be shredded or broken. You must confess your sins to God and plead for His mercy, or one day, could be tonight, could be tomorrow, next week, next month, I don't know. Church, 150 people, 150,000 people go to eternity every 24 hours. And every single one of them, like you and me, are planning lunch and next week. I don't know when it will be, but one day you and I will stand before him, just as Isaiah did, and you will say, if you're not covered by the blood, Woe is me, for I am ruined. I am a man or woman of unrighteousness. God will cause us to give an account, and you will either hear, Guilty! to the dungeon of eternal torment. And you will weep bitterly, because it says in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Or you will plead the blood of Christ and exclaim, God, I'm guilty. I stand before you, a man or a woman, full of guilt and sin, but oh my Lord, high King of heaven, pure and holy God, I plead the blood of Jesus has covered me and cleansed me from all unrighteousness. And he'll say, well done, enter into my rest. My glorious kingdom, where there will never be any more sin or stain or pain or death or suffering ever again. The psalmist says, come and taste. Taste and see that the Lord is good. When Philip found Nathaniel, hey, Nathaniel, we found, we found a Christ the one the prophets told us about, Jesus of Nazareth. Psh, can anything good come out of Nazareth? What was his response? You, come and see. You come and see. No more death, no more stain, no more pain, no more crying, no more weeping, no more illness, perfection and glory forever in the presence of our holy creator. I don't know where you are today. If you're a Christian, John wants you to conduct an honest self-examination of your life, your conduct, your thinking, and your beliefs, because what we believe seeps down into here, and that becomes who we are and what we do. Ask yourself, do I walk in the light as he is in the light? Do I practice the truth with my words? with my thoughts, with the things I want and I long for, with my spouse, with my friends, with my family, with my job? Do I practice the truth? Do I confess my sins to a holy and pure God, acknowledging that, yes, we are all sinners, but thanks be to God that if you're in Christ Jesus, you're forgiven forevermore. If you answer yes to those questions without any self-deception, 
great. Continue to examine yourself daily to ensure you are in the light, practicing the truth in every facet of life. And continue to confess your sins to God. John the Baptist said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Repentance is consistent daily. Confess, turn away, confess, turn away, confess, turn away. If you're unable to answer yes to these questions, I want you to think about your very real court date that will be here one day wherein you will stand before the highest and holiest judge you will ever meet. And once he slams the gavel down, there will be no other chances for you. Don't be led astray by the deceit and the lust of this world, the lust of power and fame and fortune and success, academics, athletics, achievement, money. Chasing the world will get you dead, spiritually, and then eternally. All that stuff, God says, will burn up in the fire. The only things that we do for Jesus Christ are the only things that will last. That's the gold that will be refined. Go into that courtroom on the final day and stand assured that you are covered in the blood of Jesus. That is your only hope. Your only hope. My only hope. And churches, they come to sing for you. Uh, to close out our service, I just want to remind you again, John's not being mean. I'm not being mean. It's just the truth. John says, if you claim to walk in the light and fellowship with God, you cannot partake in darkness on a regular basis because it affects who you are. If you don't acknowledge your sins and confess them to God, you're claiming you don't have any sins. And John said, you're a liar. The truth is not in you. But if you confess your sins, don't miss that church. Confess your sins. And they say, oh, pastor, I confess my sins. Regularly confess your sins before God, and he is just and righteous to forgive you. you know what that would feel like to be forgiven? Imagine standing in the courtroom and the judge slams the gavel down and he's getting ready to cast you into the eternal dungeon. You would be kicking and screaming. I would. If we're honest with ourselves, we all would be. And before his bailiff throws us out, he says, release them. They're free to go. Their fine has been paid. Go and sin no more. Not perfection, but not practice. 